Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's begin with a hypothetical scenario, friends and neighbors. Imagine that you are in the 1800s. You're walking down the street, minding your own, whether business or pleasure. I'm doing it. And you are kidnapped. You are accosted by a gang of ruffians. You were taken to a room where there are other hapless people like you. But instead of demanding a ransom from your loved ones or immediately torturing you or something like that, the kidnappers, their first move is to attempt to get you drunk. Mm -hmm. Booze you up. <laughs> to booze you up. Uh, and we'll continue this story, but first, let's pause for the introduction. Hello, I'm Ben. I'm Nolan. You know, the second thing they might have done, Ben, is mm. maybe put on a false mustache <laughs> upon your face or perhaps a, uh, a straw hat, mm -hmm. a top hat, any kind of hat, mm. a funny nose maybe because they were trying to uh, – disguise you right. against your will for the purposes of perpetrating a voter fraud. Ah, uh, I feel like the Badger could have stayed in the bag for a second, but you are spot on. And how ridiculous is this? Oh, we have to remember to say hello. Won't you join us, friends and neighbors, fellow ridiculous historians, in tilting your hat uh, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. You're right, Noel. It seems strange to think of it because nowadays when we think of kidnapping, we think of, you know, nefarious crime, right? Yeah, we think of, you know, uh, wealthy or dare we say even middle class Americans mm -hmm. traveling abroad in certain countries. Um, Colombia got a pretty bad rap for this in sure. years past um, and getting nabbed, you know, from tourist destinations and uh, held ransom 
for the wealthy or middle class families back in America to send forth money for the release of said hapless dolt relatives who probably should have had their wits more about him. Now I'm victim blaming. What a way to start the episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I think this is a good place for us to carve out a distinction because you're absolutely right. Nowadays, the first thing you think of when you hear kidnapping is, is likely going to be one of two things. You're going to think that someone is after money mm-hmm. or you're going to think it may be some creep with uh, – seedy or sleazy intentions. Yes, pervy preoccupations. There we go, and I like the alliteration. But let's not forget, Ben, that there is also political capital. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. And this is apropos in this day and age because regardless of where you find yourself falling on either side of the the false dichotomy known as political parties here in the U.S. or whether you are not in the U.S. and you're a foreign observer, one thing you've probably noticed is that the concept of voter fraud has been making the headlines for the past few years. It really has. Um, Our current uh, president made quite a to-do about it when it was looking like he wasn't as much of a shoe-in for the presidency as he might have liked to believe. Um, And he started planting the seeds of widespread voter fraud, Mm -hmm. illegals, Mm -hmm. unregistered, undocumented immigrants. Or corruption at the local level. Going to the polls in droves or, like you say, corruption at the local level. Now we have uh, largely electronic voter machines. There was even talk of hackery of of, of voting machines. Right, right, through the Diebold connection. Exactly. So there were a lot of red flags, at Mm -hmm. least as far as DJT (laughs) was concerned. That's Donald J. Trump. That's how I'm going to refer to him. The commander-in-chief, yeah. And what's important to note here is that allegations of possible voter fraud came from all directions recently, but primarily uh, from President Trump's crew or supporters. And for people who were critics of these allegations or accusations, this seemed like an unfounded worldview or conclusion. But regardless of what we think about Uh, the sanctity or the infallibility of the voting process today, whether you think it's rigged, whether you think it works okay or whatever, the true and strange fact of the matter is that back in the 1800s, in the 19th century, voter fraud was a huge thing. As I like to say, actually, my friend Frank likes to say, wide rife. And we stole that from a British television program. So that's, you know, three degrees of catchphrase thievery. But yes, Mm. just widespread All over the place, to the point where it was like a joke. Right, right. The kidnapping that we described for you at the beginning of the show, were you to encounter that, you would be taken in uh, in a practice called cooping. Mm -hmm. And this would be exactly what we described. A group of people kidnap you and several other folks, attempt to get you drunk, and then convince you verbally to go cast your vote for a certain political candidate. And the thing was, Ben, that wasn't even like the full scenario. There were there was another group involved in this process, and they were the ones who had already had their votes like bought and paid for by these different groups. And the whole like boozing and food situation, they just kind of got that as a as a perk. Yeah. Like when you get the uh, Cheez-Its and a little bit of juice after you give blood. Exactly. It's just a sort of a spoils of political war. So I'm wondering if these were like combined into a single event? Sometimes they were, yeah. Yeah, Sometimes they were. And 
<laughs> the weird thing is when we describe it immediately without context, uh, to me personally, the idea of being kidnapped, given free booze, and then uh, being told that I should go out and vote multiple times in an assortment of disguises. Uh, ridiculous disguises. Sa- sounds yeah. fantastic. Really? I mean, yeah, dude, I'm a master of disguise. I look like several different people. Well, then you I'm left out a crucial work. detail. You might have also been beaten. That's true. Uh, we do have to examine that part because this was all this was all drunken, boozy, fun and games and political crime. Uh, if the people who were being cooped agree to play along. If they did not play ball, they were, as you said, Noel, beaten, and in some cases, they were killed. Now, Ben, let's go back to the origins of this kind of behavior, something we like to refer to in history as political machines. Yeah, political machines. So you've probably heard this term before. You've heard it alluded to, at least, in some very popular works of historical fiction in Mm -hmm. in film and in novels. And a political machine is an organization that exists uh, typically on a city or state level to maintain its own power and pursue its own interests, which are often going to be corrupt. For instance, a member of political machine A owns stock or has invested in a certain construction company. Then under this political machine, that construction company is going to get every bid, even if they are not as qualified, even if they're more expensive, even if they're more expensive on purpose that, you know, and then that allows the machine to skim some graft off. And off air, you and I have been talking about one of the most famous political machines in United States history. Yeah, most famous largely because it was one of the most effective and had one of the longest reigns, and that was um, Tammany Hall, uh, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, the infamous Tammany Hall boss, pit boss, I guess. William M. Boss Tweed was his name, Um, and they held sway, this organization, over New York City politics uh, for decades. It was formed in 1789 and wasn't even fully dismantled until 1966. Mm-hmm. That was when John V. Lindsay, who was the final mayor that had had enough of this, uh, he, he, he essentially rendered them, kind of neutered them, right? Um, another famous New York City mayor, Fiorello LaGuardia, also put a stop to them between 34 and 45 But then they kind of had a bit of a resurgence until Lindsay came in. And the closest thing that I can compare these political machines to, and this one in particular, is the way the bad rap we see unions getting. Whereas, like, obviously a union is a functional thing. Obviously a political activist group has the potential to be a functional positive thing, mobilizes support for certain candidates, sure. certain causes that are would benefit the community. But as we know with unions, the history there was a lot of corruption there too that benefited particular stakeholders that had – a lot to gain. Yeah, and one of the big differences that we need to demarcate here is that in the case of activist groups, in the case of community organization, those voting blocks typically are going to be operating consensually with mm-hmm. the support of the voters. And in comparison, though, cooping this particular type of ridiculous uh, voter fraud 
cooping was inherently associated with obviously political corruption, but also uh, with these political machines. And they themselves, if we return to the Tammany Hall example, were intimately connected with on-the-street crime. You've seen Gangs of New York. Absolutely. And one thing Tammany Hall did and the reason they were able to kind of persevere for so long is they reached out to the most impoverished in the community, including immigrants, Irish immigrants in particular, and that's how the Irish got such a foothold in New York City politics over the years is because of this Tammany Hall machine that elevated them to positions of prominence through their control of the electoral process, right? And that also just gave them a groundswell of political support because there were a lot of immigrants coming into New York City all the time. Mm -hmm. And you get off the boat, Tammany Hall reaches out a helping hand, says, hey, we got you. If you got us, all of a sudden, you own the vote. Right, because who gave you the job? Who gave you the place to stay? Who set you up once you got off Ellis Island? There's a fantastic article we'd like to recommend from Atlas Obscura called Election Fraud in the 1800s Involved Kidnapping and Forced Drinking by author Natalie Zarelli. And in this article, uh, she includes a quote from a New York City gang leader named Mon Eastman, M-O-N. He said, I make half of the big politicians meaning that he was publicly acknowledging that he was he and his gang were working for Tammany Hall taking people yeah. by hook or by crook I make them like yeah. I'm a bookmaker like I, right. I that 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 I did that right taking them by hook or by crook and cajoling them to vote multiple times I st- I keep going back to the costumes I wonder if the costumes were any good because at this level of corruption the people manning the polls and you can see some of these pictures, I think. The people manning the polls were also in on the game. Oh, well, get a, get, a, get a kick out of this then, Ben. In an in a article from Mental Floss, Democracy's Dirty History, um, one of the uh, coop bosses, I guess, is, is the term that was used mm-hmm. here, of Tammany Hall, um, he described the smartest way to get the most bang for your buck in terms of uh, you know, kidnapping these folks. He could get four votes out of one human person. Um, he vote, had him vote one time with a full beard, then again with some take off the beard, mutton chops. No, maybe keep the beard on. I'm not sure. Unclear. Uh, and then a third time, only a mustache. And then finally, the coup de gras, the clean shaven vote. <laughs> and I was actually talking with uh, super producer Casey Pegram off air, and I wanted to ask this to you, Ben. Was there no means or if only rudimentary means of confirming someone's identity when they were voting in these days? What was that like? It's an interesting question. It's one that has echoes and consequences here in the modern day with the argument over voter ID cards. Right, which was a big problem with the the Trump stuff we were talking about earlier. That was a big beef where a lot of places in the United States got rid of those voter ID laws because they are considered by many to be inherently racist. Right, and as horrific and sad as it is, uh, we have to, we would be remiss if we did not point out that one of the most immediate ways people at the polls or polling officials decided whether or not someone was qualified to vote was by observing the color of their skin. That's right. Which is a huge travesty. But in addition to that, we have to wonder if there were some sort of proof of residency, like an address perhaps. Because in these accounts of voter fraud, one thing that we don't see mentioned at all is uh, any mention of paperwork involved. We just see disguises. Yeah. And obviously you could vote while you were rip-roaring drunk. Clearly. (laughs) And the thing, too, is like 
if the fix here, the the scam was just to buy a bunch of fake mustaches and beard, they obviously didn't have a whole, you know, counterfeiting department, you know, uh, stamping out fake passports or birth certificate documentation or anything like that. So it seems to me like it was a much more on a, a eyeball recognition and a, and a handshake and a promise kind of in these days, right? Yeah. And here's something else weird. Until the introduction of what was called the Australian ballot in the 1880s, when you voted, your voting choice was public. Ah, viva voce. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. What is it, with the human voice, I Mm -hmm. believe? That's the actual term, yeah. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is kind of where we see the start, maybe not with the coercion and the kidnapping, but in the early days of democracy, voting was always a pretty contentious situation. Because if you had to say in front of God and your peers and your Mm -hmm. township and everyone who you voted for, if they didn't agree with you, they might try to kick your ass. Yeah, Uh, try being the hopeful addition to that sentence there. Yeah, there's an article on History Extra called A Brief History of Election Rigging in the U.S. that covers some of this. And 
the strange thing is that what we're describing is absolutely correct. So voters would line up to cast their ballots with party operatives on the side telling them to do the vote or trying to bribe them to do the vote or trying to talk them into or out of the vote. That's why. Why do you think it's so important that we don't allow campaigning at polling places today? Mm -hmm. Right. Clearly an offshoot of this kind of behavior, right? Yeah. And it's still it's still in a a strange way. Look, the states are doing their collective best with the voting process, but there are still gang rules. I'm sure there are still people who wear a, who say, okay, I can't support a political candidate, but let me wear an all blue or all red, I don't know, a onesie. I've never seen anybody in a onesie. But there's weird rules about that stuff too. Like you certainly couldn't, definitely couldn't wear like a vote for Hillary t-shirt. Heck no. But if you wore some kind of dog whistle thing Mm -hmm. that let people know I'm watching you. And that's a thing, too. Uh, Mm -hmm. Trump actually encouraged. He he said, "Okay, there's going to be this widespread voter fraud. And he encouraged his uh, supporters to, quote, keep an eye on the polls. Yeah. And maybe make people a little uncomfortable. I had heard about that, too. And whether that resulted in physical activity on the ground, what remains inarguable is This did not come straight out of the blue, straight out of left field. This has vast historical precedent here in the U.S. Violence in voting in the 1800s was common enough Mm -hmm. that up to a point it was just considered part of the voting process. It was just the thing. It was what to be expected, right? Yeah, yeah. And the logic was this. There's a little misogyny in here, of course, but the logic was if a voter was not quote unquote, manly enough to stand up for his chosen convictions and the candidate sure. of his choice, then uh, if they if they couldn't if they couldn't man up, as the case were, uh, against a little bit of rowdiness, some fisticuffs, yeah, even some cajoling uh, from supporters of other candidates, then were they really even fit to vote? That was the idea. And it's interesting, too, how alcohol plays a role in this from the start as well, even before the kidnapping and shoving fake mustaches on people's faces. In this Mental Floss article, it references the fact that even George Washington himself Mm -hmm. understood that maybe you might need a little bit of uh, liquid courage at the polls because of this whole idea of standing up for what you believed in. If you need to have your voice be louder than the opposition, you might need to be a little tanked before you do this. And he ran for the Virginia House of Burgesses in 1758 and gave voters at the polls Mm -hmm. 28 gallons of rum, 50 gallons of rum punch, 34 gallons of wine, 46 gallons of beer, and two gallons of hard cider. Uh, no mention on whether he distributed his famous eggnog. No, but he did talk about, he did use the expression, swilling the planters with bumbo, mm-hmm. um, which is a uh, pretty tasty sounding yet boozy cocktail consisting of rum, water, sugar, nutmeg, and optional cinnamon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do want to point out for everyone who might have had the question, all those gallons you heard about, uh, those were total yes. for the day. Correct. Those were not per person. That's right. He was not that wealthy, but uh, he was on to something. This was, this was common in the 1800s. The practice of cooping it had a timeline that we should mention. They weren't kidnapping people on the day of voting. They were kidnapping them like 
up to two or three days before and keeping them in a windowless basement. Against their will? Against their will, or maybe not. I don't know. They probably pulled a lot of homeless people, too. That's a good point. Who were happy to have a warm place to stay. What a nightmare. But here's the thing. This, this is so off topic, but this reminded me of a story a Russian friend of mine told me about a really disturbing game. And, and please, uh, fellow Russian ridiculous historians, let us know if this is an actual thing because I have always been captivated about this. Noel, it's a game called Submarining. Go on. So it, it doesn't even sound like a game to me. I don't entirely understand the point. Does it involve sandwiches? Kind of. Oh. The, the story is this, that a group of people would get together. And the, again, I heard this from a Russian friend who was telling me about Russian games. A group of people get together. They'll get an apartment and they'll nail up planks or black out all the windows and they'll get locked in with like cold cuts and bread, absolute darkness, and just a ton of booze, like hard liquor. And they'll be in there for days in total dark, just drinking and eating cold cuts. And one person who is also in on the game comes by later to unlock the door and let them out. That sounds incredibly disturbing to me. Wow. Is this sort of like a battle royale with like sandwich meats and booze kind of situation? I have no idea because, you know. What are they expecting to find when they come let them out? I I have no idea. Maybe it's a spiritual revelatory thing. But uh, what was happening with cooping was uh, uncomfortably close to that. And since there were so many people in on it, the law or the legal system was – really hard pressed to impose some kind of consequence for this because the people who were rigging the vote were the people who were in charge of giving the yay or nay to a judge. So for a judge, it's political suicide in many cases, especially in New York at the time, to stand up against this. Did you read the bit about how uh, election poll workers were also at risk, Ben, um, of one thing that I saw was having their coffee spiked with laxatives so that they, <laughs> quote, would be otherwise engaged during the most important phase of the count. Um, this is, again, from that Mental Floss article by A.J. Jacobs. So no one was safe. None were safe, Ben. Yeah. None. And as a matter of fact, the the public had a bit of hypocrisy about this because people were aware of and disgusted by this practice, specifically cooping, but corruption overall in domestic politics. But it was so common, so baked in that we found accounts of it happening in multiple states, not just in New York. And this practice continued uh, through the end of the 19th century. They also had uh, cases in 1910. There was one in Adams County, Ohio, uh, where a judge, this is a little unusual, actually brought to trial and convicted, get this, 1,690 voters, 26% of the electorate of the county, uh, for selling their votes. Jeez. And, you know, again, we have to wonder, was the uh, were the voters in question falling for a more gentle Washingtonian bribery scam or was it a more violent nice farm be a shame if something happened something to happened it happened to it yeah. boss tweed kind of kind right of vibe. yeah and ben um mm. i was surprised yeah not surprised it makes perfect sense that we inherited this from our former rulers 
in the uh, in in the United Kingdom. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, this uh, this this cooping was was part of their electoral process as well. And I found a delightful passage from a book called "Knowing Right from Wrong: The Insanity Defense of Daniel McNaughton" that describes cooping in English elections um, in 1834. And here uh, goes this story um, from this. Book by Richard Moran, quote, if bribery and improper influence failed to persuade reluctant voters, they wanted them to vote Tory, uh, there was always violence and intimidation. The practice of cooping or abducting an opponent's supporters until after the election was nearly universal. Consequently, cooping one's own supporters and keeping them locked up in a public house, a, a pub, until it was time to vote developed as a defensive response. Here's, here's the best part where you had these factions warring with each other. It was not uncommon for large groups of drunk voters to be escorted under guard to the polling place. In Ireland, where wholesale cooping took place, refusal to surrender to what one historian has called ceremonious abduction carried with it the full wrath of the landlords, the barkeeps. He goes on to say um, how people who manage the campaigns actually hired these gangs of what are deemed bullies to intimidate and physically abuse voters. Um, and then he goes on to say, election day in many towns and boroughs was characterized by riots and mob violence. At Hertford, the Tory candidate, Lord Ingestra and Lord Mohan employed a band of gypsies to harass radical voters. The radical candidate, Thomas Duncombe, retaliated by hiring 150 wear bargemen. So, you know, Fight fire with fire or gypsies with bargemen. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. There was also a an intensely close and I would think much more publicly acknowledged link between politics and entertainment, which to a degree helps us uh, contextualize this practice. So public politics had, uh, you know, had a ton of drinking involved at the time. There were a lot of torch-lit rallies and there were things called jollification barbecues. That sounds like fun. Right? I want to be jollified. And in an article, Riling Up the Shrewd Wild Boys by John Grinspan, uh, we explore some of the differences between then and today. So during the peak of American campaign excitement, he writes, uh, our democracy was louder, meaner, and merrier than it had ever been before. Populist campaigners perfected the art of political show business, a genre, and he gets his licks in here, that seems to be making a comeback. He's writing in 2012. Sure. Prescient, right? Yeah. And, if only he knew. Right. Uh, and so from 1840 through 1900, he says, uh, these types of campaigns did select people who would lead the government at this stage unanimously all men, but they also were the best show in town. These were gaudy, gonzo rituals, and people would go, apolitical people would go, just because it was great food, tons of cheap or free booze, and then there were shows. There was singing, there was partying, there were uh, the pretty much diss tracks of the time, which were these uh, fiery invectives against those monsters and traitors. Or, sure. Or they would sometimes say, perhaps not entirely American opponents. Oh, yeah. You know what it makes me think of? That scene in um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where it's, you know, is you is or is you ain't my constituency. Mm-hmm. And he has, like, dwarves and it's all, like, this crazy smoke and mirrors exactly. kind of, like, P.T. Barnum-esque atmosphere with banners and parades and all this mm-hmm. stuff, you know, some of which we still see today, but much more cartoonish, to, to borrow your yeah. your word of choice there. <laughs> Thank you. It's a, it's a go-to. Well, here's the thing, though, because we're talking about this practice, which was wild, which was common, which was real. But we have ignored up to this point the fact that several great and acclaimed U.S. politicians were alive and active during this time, and they were also doing the same sort of thing. Maybe not cooping, but politicians themselves encouraged it. We even have a record of Abraham Lincoln in the 1840s planning what he thought would be a great party. That headline, Wild Shrewd Boys, comes from his letter that he wrote. That sounds like a really cool party crew, the Wild Shrewd Boys. <laughs> it does. I would, I would love to see them at a house party so long as it was not my house. And as you mentioned earlier, Ben, there was a time where, you know, you poll workers would know whether it was okay for someone to vote or not simply by looking at the color of their skin, you know, seeing if they were in fact or not white. But then we have emancipation, 
in the late 1860s. So we have that fantastic article from HistoryExtra.com that talks about the plight of African Americans after this period in time. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially in the South, there was a sense that um, even though black men did receive the franchise, their very presence at these elections was seen as an affront to the election process and that they were somehow uh, plants from, you know, northern Yankee carpetbagger scum trying to rig the election in their union-loving favor. Mm-hmm. And gross, gross stuff. Again, yeah, that is you is or is you ain't my constituency stuff uh, comes to mind. Right. So – a long, hard-fought battle to where we are now with elections, which clearly people still have some issues with. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to be fully comfortable with something as important as the election process. Because I've always wondered, why don't they just put it all online? There's right. A, there's an answer to that from purists, right? Well, yeah. But then again, it's it's something that has two answers, one from the realm of idealism and one from the realm of, well, how low can people go morally speaking? The thing is, there is always someone who can go lower than you in the game of morality limbo. I'm actually happy with that. Oh, you know, I love that. A lot of these comparisons don't work because you and I are shooting from the hip, but that one, that one wasn't that bad. No, man. Well done. Should we put it on a T-shirt? Hey, what, what, what do you say, <laughs> Ridiculous Historians? We do have a new T-shirt shop coming up at T Public. Mm-hmm. if you haven't heard of it, where um, they do this thing where we can we can – drum up a catchphrase design in a in two shakes of a lamb's tail. So if you guys want some unique short run ridiculous history catchphrase tees <laughs> yeah. or hoodies yeah. or you know throw pillows, sure. Let us know. Uh parkas. I don't know. We're just making stuff up or let us know what you what you think. Bun- bunny hugs? Yeah, yeah. Uh wallets um Jinko jeans. <laughs> I don't think they make those anymore, dude. I think it's over for Jinko jeans. Somebody still has a pair, I'm sure. Uh, we would like to hear your ideas for that. Uh, I think we're already both pretty much sold on Son of a Fish and Ship Show shirts, respectively. But we want to hear your designs and ideas. What would be a cool T-shirt? This is so new and strange to us. I think we're going to get very weird with it. Yeah, and the best place to do that, um, if you don't want to just email us directly at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com, is to hit us up on our Facebook group, The Ridiculous Historians, which you can join via your mobile or desktop Facebook app. And we've got a cool little community there, and we hop in there and hang and chat every now and then. So um, maybe we could do a poll, Ben. I want to. So this is the idea I, I proposed. Noel, you have you can confirm that you have not heard about this until we're on air. But I'd like to do maybe uh, one poll a week on Ridiculous Historians. Just about stuff. Uh, we could do a poll, for instance, on vote for a favorite t-shirt concept. We could also do a poll on uh, questions about where you and your fellow listeners stand on a particular topic brought up in an episode. Because if we have learned one thing from today's show, it's that uh, no matter how much we knock the voting process today, it's way cooler now. Yeah, you should do it. It's important, especially, you know, on our Facebook page. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, be the change. Start on Ridiculous Historians. Uh, Let us know. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, where we are some variety of Ridiculous 
history or ridiculous history show. And if you want to see us live in the flesh in person in human form, we will be at the Trocadero Theater in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on July the 1st, 4 o'clock p.m. Uh, alongside our buddies Will and Mango from Part-Time Genius. Uh, and we're going to do our first ever live show. We're super stoked about it. Yeah, wish us luck. Uh, come come uh, cheer us on or laugh at us in person uh, because one thing we can promise you is that there are several surprises in store. But what are they? No spoilers. You'll have to tune in. None spoilers. But hey, we'll see you there or next time on another episode of Ridiculous History. Take care, everyone. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.